All right, good evening, New Life Church. How are we doing tonight? All right, come on, let me hear you, everybody. How's everybody doing this Sunday evening? You enjoying the summertime? It's good to see you. My name's Glenn Packham. Great to be with you. If you're watching online, thank you on Facebook, YouTube, New Life Downtown channel. Hey, before we get going tonight, I mentioned something last week uh, that I want to mention again this week, and that is Alpha. Alpha is an amazing opportunity to invite people who are curious about the faith, really curious about the meaning, uh, how you can find meaning in difficult times of life, and it's a great safe way to explore the Christian faith. Now listen, we know in the midst of all of this turbulence, God never stopped working, amen? God never stopped working, and one of the ways that God works is through his church, and one of the ways that we participate with God is by the way that we can show a radical kind of love and hospitality toward others. So I want you to watch this one-minute video here about Alpha, and then we'll dive into the scriptures this evening. That's great. So it's going to be online. It's an online alpha. First time ever that we've done it online, but it's a great way to invite people. There's info that you can find out later. Let's pray this evening as we open the scriptures. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the word that you've given to us. We thank you for your word that speaks to us. And so we pause now this evening and we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and breathe your word into our hearts. Open up our eyes to see Jesus, open up our ears to hear Jesus, open up our minds to understand and our hearts to believe and to trust in him. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I was quite young when I discovered that I have a quick mind and a sharp tongue. I was probably 10 years old. And our family had just moved from Malaysia to Portland, Oregon. We were living there. And I was doing that thing that sometimes 10-year-old boys do, which is you're kind of just fidgety and just active. And I was, uh, I was spinning my Bible. You know, I don't know if any kids in the room, if you ever have done this, just flipping your Bible, you know. And I was flipping my Bible, and this is a church that is a great church, but a little bit on the Pentecostal side, so a little bit serious about certain uh, random religious codes. And, and one of them was, thou shalt not flip your paper Bible. And so I'm sitting, I'm standing here, my parents are talking to their friends, and I'm spinning this Bible. And somebody says, the, the guy that they're talking to says, a oh, young man, you should not treat the word of God like that. Now you would think that would be the moment for me to say, yes, sir, just tuck it back, do the underarm, you know, Bible, just tuck it right there. It's all going to be okay. Instead, I say, no, 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 Th- this is a book on which There are printed words, and the words are the Word of God, but this itself is a printed book. The Word of God itself is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. (laughs) 
And, and he looked at me like, oh. And I think my parents were like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> and I discovered that I could react very quickly to situations. <laughs> Tonight we're looking at James 3, and there's a very familiar set of verses in James 3 where he talks to us about the power of our words, the power of the tongue. The English writer G.K. Chesterton once joked that original sin is the only part of Christian theology which can easily be proved. It's difficult to prove the resurrection. It's difficult to prove the virgin birth. But when we start talking about original sin, everybody's like, oh yeah, that's true. I can see that. Uh-huh. Yep. And in a, in a parallel, parallel way, James 3 is one of the sections in his letter where you're like, Oh, yeah, our words can set the world on fire. Just look at Facebook. And so James 3 opens up in this way, and you know if you've been following the series that James, in early Christian tradition, this book is written by the half-brother of Jesus. He's the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he's writing his letter in what's called the wisdom tradition. It's the tradition that follows, it follows in the tradition of books like, in the Old Testament, like the book of Proverbs or sections of some of the Psalms. The wisdom tradition tells us how to live, except James, taking his cues from his famous older brother Jesus, who taught wisdom, as you read it in, the, in Matthew's gospel, you read it in the Sermon on the Mount, and so James is saying there is a way we are to live, but this life is only possible in Christ. And so we can walk this way because Jesus is the way. So I want you to hear that in the, with that context in mind so that you don't hear this as like, oh no, James is going to hammer us again, because he is. <laughs> But I want you to hear that James understands you can only walk this way because Jesus is the way. And so James 3, verse 1, see, I've given up paper Bibles that you can flip now. I use an iPad. And uh, James opens this way. He says, my brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers because we know that we teachers will be judged more strictly. It's true. And then he says, we all make mistakes often. But those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. There are not too many instances in the New Testament where we are given uh, certain ways to gauge how your walk with Christ is doing. So often it is a communally, personally discerned thing. But James says, I'm just going to tell you, if you're struggling with your words, you can't call yourself mature. And he's saying, if you want to know, if you want to know how you're doing, the ones who don't make mistakes with their words have not reached full maturity. Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and put bits in their mouth to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Consider ships. Now he switches to a different metaphor. They are so large that strong winds are needed to drive them. But pilots can direct ships wherever they want with a little rudder. In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. <laughs> Think about this, James says, a small flame can set a whole forest on fire. Some of you have lived in the city long enough to remember not one, but two different forest fires. The Waldo Canyon fire that went over the ridge, and then after that, the Black Forest fire. Chances are some of you in the room were very closely affected by that. I remember where we were living in Briargate and watching the flames come over and on the Waldo Canyon Fire coming over the ridge and smoke blowing over the interstate. And you think, and everyone wants to, how did it start? Who started it? 
And James says the most destructive of fires can be started by the smallest of things. Friends, we, we look around and we're watching parts of our country burn and we wonder if our words are helping it or hurting it. Are we adding to the flame or are we bringing a different kind of tongues of fire in the book of Acts, the kind that introduced a new kind of people? And then James goes on and he says, the tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. I mean, this is James going all like, I don't know, like Lord of the Rings on us. The fires of Mordor. It's, it's grim, it's ghastly, it's intense, it's dark. And James says everything that you think of when you think of the darkness. And he's, then he brings it home and he says, it's not just out there, it's right here. And if you're listening to James, you're saying, well, James, I, I mean, there's a lot of darkness. We prayed about it. There's, a, there's powers of hell. And he's like, yeah, but they're sometimes using your words. You're like, my words? No, not, surely it is not I, Lord. Someone else's words, perhaps. Words have power. Words have power. They have tremendous power. Now, I told you that James is following the wisdom tradition. If you search the Proverbs, what the Proverbs says about our words, there's a lot of references. I'm just going to give you four or five of them from the book of Proverbs. Are you ready? We'll just race through these. Proverbs 12, verse 18, some chatter on like a stabbing sword, but a wise tongue heals. You're like, a stabbing sword? That describes my sixth grade friend. You're thinking of these metaphors, but a wise tongue heals. Proverbs 15, verse 2, the tongue of the wise enhances knowledge. You can use words in such a way that actually contributes to knowledge, but the mouth of a fool gushes with stupidity. I always think of that scene where he says, thank you for that. We are all dumber for having heard you speak now. <laughs> you know, I won't even say what movie. Okay, Proverbs 17, verse 4. An evildoer pays attention to guilty lips, and a liar listens to a destructive tongue. Isn't this interesting? We, we, we think about lying in terms of what we say, but the Proverbs are saying liars also listen. It's not just what liars say, it's what liars will tolerate. Do you know that part of the ways that we contribute to the raging fires of division is the way that we share informations or we think surreptitiously liking posts. And we're like, well, I didn't, I didn't say it, but ooh, that's a good one. Ooh, that meme, sick burn on the liberals. Got them. I didn't post it, I didn't say it, I just liked it. Proverbs says a liar listens to a destructive tongue. Ooh. I know, that was close to home. We'll move on. <laughs> Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. 
Death and life are in the power. Now, this is not, I, I used to hear this verse sometimes in Tulsa uh, uh, in sort of this magical way. If you claim it, if you name it, you can claim it. If you confess it, you can possess it. If you blab it, you can grab it. <laughs> and that's not what the Proverbs talking about. He's saying that you, you can shape your situations. When you call a fetus an unborn child, it shapes the way you think about life. But when you call it a conception and something, you know, uh, you come up with some other word for it, it's just a terminated pregnancy. Words really do matter. You can frame issues of life and death by how you name it. If you say, that's a baby growing in the womb, then that changes how we should think about what our quote-unquote options are. But if you name it something else, say, well, I, we, can, if I can, we can be cheaper about those decisions. This is, I think, what the, closer to the heart of what the Proverbs are saying. You can decide how you see situations. And then Proverbs 21, the last one we'll read tonight. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues guard themselves from trouble. Man, that's, that's so important for us, isn't it? Those who guard their mouths and their tongues can actually guard themselves from trouble. Lord, help me to guard. So tonight, I want us to just unpack this a little bit more because we know this. We know that words are powerful. We know that words are destructive. We know that words can have an impact in ways that can grow beyond us. I mean, that image that James gives of a wildfire is important. It's funny, we sing the, it only takes a spark to get the fire going. But when you think about a destructive fire, you're like, I just said, all I did was, I just said this one thing. And James is like, you're not seeing the ripple effect of that. So we, we, we get it. It's destructive. But what makes our words, what is it that makes us use words in the worst ways? I want to give you five things tonight that describe how our words are at their worst. How our words are at their worst. Are you ready? If you can take notes, you can write this down. Our words are at their worst, number one, when we label. When we label. Now, the way our brains work is we can't process new information every single time. So we have to have labels. In, in technical terms, this is called a, a taxonomy. You need ways of sorting. You need to put labels on stuff. If you're a super organized person in your basement or your storage room and you've got a whole bunch of Tupperware tubs, it, it's no good to just put the thing in the tub. You also got to put a label on the tub, right? So you know what's in there. This is old school books. This is whatever clothes to give away. So we, we get that. There's a certain part of that that is a necessary thing. But when we start to use labels toward people, we start to dehumanize them. You label things, but people have to be named as individuals. <laughs> Think about in the Bible how many times God changes the name of a person. But a label is lazy. So what are the, some of the labels we've got? Well, these days, if you think a certain way, if you do this, if you're maybe you hear the label thrown around a lot, racist. You're a racist. It's just strong. If, if, if you're white, you're automatically, just put that label on you. You're a racist. Or if you care about racism or if you care about justice, you're a liberal. 
you're a Marxist. If you really want to get creative, just keep upping the ante, you know. You, 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 this is what you do. You're a right-wing crazy. Labels. Secondly, our words are at their worst when we lump. When we lump. A few years ago, I read a book by a professor at Baylor named Alan Jacobs, and he wrote a book called How to Think. And he talks a bit more about these taxonomies, the ways that we have of categorizing things. And he says, look, it's okay to use these forms of, of, of grouping so long as we understand that they're provisional. They're, these are temporary ways of sorting, and we've got to do the much harder work of what he calls splitting. Instead of just lumping, we need to split and separate out and say, is this person part of that group? Is this person the way they are because they're part of that group? Or is this person different from that group? Or maybe I'm wrong about the group. Jacob says, splitting is the disciplined, principled preference for rejecting categories when we discern them at work. We're tempt be careful when you're tempted to explain something in someone because they're a member of a particular group instead of because of their own story. So I'll give you an example, okay? I'll give you a, a, an outrageous example. John loves soccer. You know who else loves soccer? Socialists. All them socialist countries. Therefore, John is a darn socialist. He's always talking about soccer. Why can't he like a good American sport like baseball? Because they won't figure out how to get the season back. That's why. That's for you, Jason. Jason's hanging on to baseball and Survivor. It's things from the past eras. But we do this in other ways, too. Some cops use excessive force. Let's lump it all together. Cops are bad. Friends, at New Life Church, we are so grateful for the officers who serve and protect in this city and this community. So incredibly grateful. I was here in the parking lot on that horrific day in December in 2007 when we were so glad to see red and blue lights arrive on our campus to help. And we know many of the, the men and women who serve in our community, many are in our church. And so we can't lump. We can't lump it together. Oh, well, this, this, you're this, therefore you're that. You, you must be all together. Another way we do it. Someone says, black lives matter. And you think, well, have you read about the Black Lives Matter organization? Well, the organization is bad, so since you said the phrase Black Lives Matter, you must also support the organization. Therefore, I'm just going to lump you together. Guys, it's not as if the Word of God isn't speaking to us today. It speaks directly to our world. Our words are at their worst when we label and when we lump. All white people are, all black people are, all cops are, all people who say black lives matter are. Fill in the blank when we lump. A third way, we'll just keep moving, okay? I'll take your silences that you're listening. <laughs> when we assume motives. This is an interesting one, okay? When we assume motives. We all know we shouldn't assume motives, except that we often think that we are better at discerning motives than we actually are. And here's why we think we're so good. We are like better than Sherlock Holmes at cracking the clue of somebody else's behavior. 
We're like, a, we're like super awesome. Like everybody else is an average, you know, bumbling detective, but we know elementary, my dear Watson. And this is how our detective work often works. So-and-so does X, but this other person did X because of Y. Therefore, so-and-so did X also because of Y. Instead of saying, could there be another reason why that person did that same action? Okay, let's give you a couple examples. Susie wears a mask when she goes outside. My other friend, Jenny, also wears a mask. And Jenny, I know for a fact, is living in fear. Therefore, Susie, who also does what Jenny does, wears a mask, must also be living in fear. Do you see how this works? So we move beyond behavior to motives because we think we've become experts in dissecting, doing a post-mortem of people's actions. I know exactly why you're doing this. You're wearing a mask. You're fearful. Not even considering that there are other reasons why people wear masks, for example. I'll give you another example. John is silent about racial justice because John doesn't believe racism is a problem, and, and so John, his silence is actually complici complicitness. Complicity? Jo that's John. Now, Jack hasn't said anything on Facebook. Interesting, Jack, you've been really quiet about this. I'm going to assume that you are complicit too. We're doing all of that now. Now silence is being interpreted. Not just words and actions, but silence is being interpreted. We think we know everybody's motivations. And James says, your words, you, your words are like fire. And I want you to see some of the reasons why our words burn so badly. Someone might be doing something. Maybe someone participated in a peaceful protest. I know many of you did. And so, so others of you are like, oh, I can't, I'm sick of all this virtue signaling. That's a new phrase. If you haven't figured it out, you can Google it. Virtue signaling. They're just, they're just virtue signaling. Are they? What's the difference between virtue signaling and showing solidarity? Guess what? You won't know. You won't know. Someone might be posting something as a show of solidarity. Someone might be participating as a show of solidarity. But if you're convinced that you already know why they did it. No, I know why they did it. They did it just as this pandering to the liberal agenda. This is virtue signaling. If you already know, your words are already going to hurt. Your words are already going to hurt. A fourth reason, a fourth way occasion when our words are at their worst is when we don't consider others' perspectives. Y'all remember the dress? You know, this, this one? <laughs> you, you remember that? Is it gold? Is it blue? Whatever other color it's supposed to be. I mean, it's very obviously gold right now, right? I mean, surely, right? We, we, can we all agree? What? Evan, would you come up here? Help me with this thing real quick. Okay, we'll do another one. We'll do another one. Grab this little piece here, and I, I want... You're probably going to need to stand in front of me, Evan. This is Pastor Evan Rudolph from New Life Downtown. That's really great. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, wonder. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, keep going. Okay, I want everybody who can see it from this side and everybody who can see it from this side. If you can see both, be quiet, okay? Uh, <laughs> everyone who can see it on this side and everyone who can see it on this side. On the count of three, I want you to yell out what color it is, okay? One, two, three. Yeah. 
Come on, guys. What is it? What color is it? It's a, what color is it, guys? I mean, they, these people, how could they say it's orange? These people are dummies. I mean, they're clear. Like, what? And over here, you're like, hey, how could he speak about us like that? You think I'm blind? Are you calling me blind? This is so obviously orange. By the way, they are Broncos colors. Lord, bring the season back this fall. Let's take a moment. Now, flip it around, Evan. We can't actually have you switching seats, but we can flip this around. Now, what color is it? You fickle people. I thought you said it was blue. What color is it over here? What? What What changed? Your perspective. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you can give him a hand. My friend Earl McClellan, who's a pastor in Texas, did this illustration a few weeks ago, and I saw it, and I thought, that's just brilliant. What changed? The piece of cardboard didn't change, but our perspective changed. Now, the illustration would have been even more powerful if you had actually switched seats. The goal of Christ-like empathy is to actually be in the other person's seat, to walk where they walk, to try to see how they see. The book of Hebrews says we have a high priest who has compassion because he's been in our place. He knows all of it. This morning, I encourage you all to go and watch the service. If you missed the service this morning, go on Facebook tonight or, to, or later this week and find the, it's called, it's New Life Church on Facebook. It's the New Life North Feed. You can also find it on YouTube. Go and, go and find it. On the website, I think it shows the pre-recorded one, but find the one from this morning that's live. Pastor Brady hosted a panel with two couples, two African-American couples from our church, and it was, it is quite possibly one of the most powerful services I've been in in the last several years. Absolutely stunning. Because we took the time to say, tell me about your pain. Some people are like, well, why are, why, are, why are black people so afraid every time the cops come? Do you not understand that this is a trauma trigger? That every time another shooting happens, you say, well, these all, and you can parse, you have the luxury of parsing out how every situation is just a little bit different, but for them, it hits the same 400-year-old trauma. And we won't know that unless we see from another perspective. Earlier this week, I was messaging with the wife of an officer who goes to our church, and she said, I just want you to know how we are experiencing this season. And she said, it's so difficult because we love our community, and we, my husband signed up to serve and to protect, and we don't want to be vilified, and we don't want to be the villains. Listen, you've got to see from another perspective. Otherwise, we're just going to keep yelling at opposite sides and say, you dummies, you can't see what I see, and back and forth, you must be blind, instead of saying... I'm sorry, I, I, what is it you see that I don't see? What is it that you can see? You've got to switch seats sometimes to do that. The final piece, the final way, and there's probably a lot longer of a list, but for tonight, our words are at their worst when we haven't processed our own sadness and fear. Did you know that anger is very oftentimes what counselors will call a masking emotion? It's a presenting emotion. And oftentimes, uh, certain personalities, or, or, you know, very often for men, they'll say, I'm just mad. So that's great. But maybe underneath that anger is actually a sadness. Uh, are, are you sad about losing your business? Are you sad about losing income? And there's, 
Also, anger can also result from fear. You've heard of the fight or flight impulse. Well, that fight thing sure looks a lot like angry words. Sometimes I've interacted with someone on Facebook, and in my better moments, when I feel the anger of their words, I'll say, what's really going Like, I might call them and be like, hey, can we just talk? Like, what, what's this season been like? And then they'll say, man, it's been frustrating. Like, I, my business has just gone from, gone to zero in the span of, like, days, and, and I, I, I'm so tired of fighting government restrictions and guidelines, and I don't know what to do. And, and the thing that they're posting about is not actually the thing that they're upset about. Their emotions about something else. They're afraid. Am I going to have a retirement? Am I going to have anything left? Am I going to have a savings account? Am I going to have... And listen, friends, if we won't do the work to process our own sadness and fear, words are always going to come out of us that are hurtful towards others. It's always going to come out like fire, snapping and snipping and assuming and biting. Because in the end, there's something deeper going on. James goes on in verse 7. He says, people can tame and already have tamed every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish. No one can tame the tongue, though. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we both bless the Lord and Father and curse human beings made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, you can feel James now in his pastoral mode. My brothers and sisters, it just shouldn't be this way. Shouldn't be this way. Both fresh water and salt water don't come from the same spring, do they? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. And fresh water doesn't flow from salt water from a saltwater spring either. You're like, what are you talking about, James? Fig trees and olives and fresh. Ah. Here's what James is saying. Your words are not actually the problem. Your words are the symptom. I heard Pastor Daniel Grothy preaching this on Friday night, and he said this so well. He said, he referred us back to Jesus saying, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When God wants to do work on us, it's not just about teaching us to bite our tongues as if good manners were what the Christian life was all about. Jesus wants more than good manners. He wants clean hearts. Jesus wants more than polite speech. He wants more than civic discourse, although I would take that. Jesus wants us to fully grow up. No one can tame the tongue, but God can. No one can tame the tongue, but God can. It reminds me of the gospel moment. Uh, Pastor Andrew Arndt was preaching this on Thursday night, and he said, this is what's great about being the last guy to preach. I get to listen to everybody else. Oh, that was good, that was good, that was good. I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna take that. Although, to be fair, Daniel did steal my list of five things on Friday night, so there you go. But Andrew, Andrew was talking about this on Thursday, and he said, remember that gospel moment where Jesus was talking about the rich, and they're like, oh, Jesus, if this is what it takes, who can enter the kingdom? And he's, Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about the poor being favored and the rich being sent away, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what, is it a problem that I'm rich? With man, it's impossible for you to enter in. It, it is a problem, but God. But with God, all things are possible. But with God, all things are are possible. How could we ever tame the tongue? James says, no one can tame the tongue. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus Christ 
Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the Word of God became flesh. The Word of God became flesh, and as the message paraphrase says, moved into the neighborhood. Jesus Christ, the Word of God became flesh and tabernacled with us, dwelt with us. Jesus Christ, the Word of God in the Gospels. Yes, Jesus taught. Yes, Jesus rebuked. But think of all of those other stunning moments, the way Jesus uses his words in the gospel, when he says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, what? When he says, pick up your mat and walk to a paralyzed guy. If it was anyone else's words, it would have been a cruel joke. He's like, no, pick up is exactly what I can't do. I can't get up. I can't pick. But the word coming out of the word's mouth. He stands up. Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh. Says, come on, Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. I'm coming to your house. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Finds those disciples scared in the storm and says, do not be afraid. Jesus Christ, the risen one says to his disciples in John's very gospel, my peace I give to you. Friends, tonight what we need is for the word of God, Jesus himself, to make us whole, to heal us. Would you stand with me tonight? For Jesus himself to heal us. And as Jesus heals us with his word, He begins to redeem our own words. There are two ways that Christians use their words. Two ways that Christians begin to use their words. The first is this. We begin to confess our sin. Listen, guys, we're not doing this right. I'm not doing this right. A few days ago, I tried to post something that was positive, but I ended up using the wrong illustration for it, and it ended up doing more harm. And you know what I did? The very next morning, I woke up. I was sick about it. went to bed, sick about it. Woke up the next morning, and I said, guys, I took this link down because it's it's distracting from what I'm actually trying to say. I'm so sorry. This is what... (laughs) Do you know there's something so powerful about saying, I'm sorry? Guys, we're not going to do this right. We're not going to get it all right. We're going to have clumsy conversations about reconciliation and about justice and about forgiveness. We're going to have clumsy conversations. But if we're willing to confess, we're going to be okay. Parents in the room, I just want to take the pressure off of you. One of the best gifts you can give your kids is not to live the perfect Christian life in front of them, but to be quick to confess to your kids. It's one of the best gifts you can give your kids. You say, I'm so sorry I lost my temper today. I'm so sorry I was a bit edgy today at dinner time. I'm so sorry I barked you. I can't. Just forgive me. If we sin with our words, Jesus redeems our words by leading us to confession. By leading us to confession. And then secondly, Jesus redeems our words by helping us use them to bless God to bless one another. According to James, he doesn't think we have much problem with the first part, blessing God. We're good at that. We got it. I got nice songs. I got pretty prayers. I got prayer books full of prayers. What about using our words to bless one another? So here's what I want you to do before Pastor Jason comes back up. I just want you to turn 
to the household you're sitting with or the friend group that you're sitting with and just take like 15 seconds each and just speak a blessing over them. Say, God, I bless. You can name them. Your spouses, kids, parents, whatever. Just maybe pair up. So it doesn't take too long. Just take a moment and just speak a blessing over each other. I bless you for the way that you are. And say something to them. You're a, you're a person of courage. You're a person of compassion. Go ahead. You can do it. Use your words to bless one another tonight. Bless one another. Bless them. Jesus, we ask that you would help us. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart and that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. God, we are truly sorry. We have labeled, we have lumped, we have assumed motives, we have failed to see from other perspectives. not dealt with our own grief and our own fear and anxiety. God, forgive us. We confess. Now, church, I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ, not my words, but the words of Jesus, the great high priest, saying over you, your sins are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Hear that tonight. Receive that tonight. May you be made whole by the very word of God tonight. And may the Lord send you into your homes and apartments and neighborhoods and communities and Facebook itself to speak words that bless, words that confess, and words that glorify the Lord together. Would you praise the Lord together tonight?